Hey y'all, we're rerunning two episodes today, which means you might hear two hosts. Enjoy the show. Welcome to this day in history class from HowStuffWorks.com and from the desk of Stuff You Missed in History Class. It's the show where we explore the past one day at a time with a quick look at what happened today in history. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Tracy V. Wilson, and it's November 11th. The armistice that stopped the fighting in World War I was signed on this day in 1918. Now, I talked a little bit about the last months of World War I in August, back when I talked about the 100 Days Offensive. The Allies had been pushing really hard toward the German border since mid-October of 1918, and there had been a massive mutiny that had swept through the German fleet out at sea. And then on November 9th of 1918, Kaiser Wilhelm had abdicated and fled. It was clear that Germany was defeated. Germany's strategy toward the end of the war had tied to the hope that they could at least end the war at a place where the nation might be able to get some favorable armistice terms. But when they finally got to discussing peace terms, they had no negotiating power left. So consequently, the terms of the armistice were really severe. Germany had to withdraw from the territory that it occupied. It had to establish a neutral zone along the right bank of the Rhine River. German troops in East Africa were required to surrender. And Germany also had to repatriate its prisoners of war to the nations that they came from. But there was no corresponding provision for German POWs to be repatriated back to Germany. Germany was also supposed to surrender massive amounts of weapons and war materials, including things like 150,000 railroad cars and tens of thousands of machine guns, among many other things. The armistice also called for a blockade of Germany that had been ongoing to continue, and that blockade had obviously been extremely difficult for the people of Germany. It also invalidated two treaties that Germany had signed with other nations earlier in 1918. So at first, after getting all these terms, Germany tried to negotiate for better ones because these were very punitive, but it had nothing really to bargain with. And the Allies had troops that were preparing for another assault, including the threat of bombing Berlin. So Germany reluctantly signed the armistice. The actual armistice was signed in a railroad car at about 5 a.m., and it called for the fighting to end six hours later at 11 a.m., As word spread of the armistice, people around the world were overjoyed. The war had gone on for more than four years, and much of that four years was a grueling stalemate. Casualties were massive. Estimates are at least 9 million dead and 21 million wounded, and at least 5 million civilians died from causes that were connected to the war, like disease and starvation and life had been seriously disrupted in the countries where the fighting was taking place, and even in the countries where there was no active fighting, there were still massive shortages and rationing, and of course, just the huge loss of life. So many people were killed, so many people lost family members and friends. So the idea on November 11th that it was over now to most civilians was a huge relief. Among the armed forces of the nations that were actively fighting at this point, though, it was a more subdued response. An armistice isn't a peace treaty. It's just an agreement to end fighting. And this armistice was to be in place for 30 days. So a lot of soldiers thought this was just temporary and that they were going to be back to fighting really soon. In Germany, the armistice also planted the seeds for ongoing discontent. 
A civilian named Matthias Erzberger had headed the armistice delegation, and rumors were actively spread among military leaders that Germany had not been defeated, that they had been stabbed in the back by Erzberger and the armistice delegation and by the German government for not adequately supporting the war. This all was threaded through with anti-Semitism, and it became a major talking point among the Nazis, especially with Adolf Hitler. In the end, though, the armistice wasn't temporary. The end of the war was formalized with the Treaty of Versailles, signed on June 28th of 1919, which had some of the same terms the armistice did, as well as redrawing Germany's borders and making Germany liable for paying extensive reparations. Unfortunately, a lot of those terms turned into contributing factors for World War II. Thanks to Casey Pegram and Chandler Mays for their audio work on this show, and you can subscribe to the Stay in History class on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever else you get your podcasts. Tune in tomorrow for The Founder of a Faith. Hi, everyone. I'm Eves. Welcome to This Day in History class, a podcast for folks who can never have enough history knowledge. The day was November 11, 1888. Scholar, poet, and leader of the Indian independence movement, Abul Kalam Azad, was born. His father was a Bengali Muslim scholar, and his mother was an Arab and the daughter of a scholar. In 1890, Azad and his family moved to Calcutta, India. Azad was educated at home by his father and other Islamic scholars, who taught him religious sciences, classical Arabic, Persian, and Urdu. He was also taught philosophy and math. His family background meant that he had to pursue traditional Islamic education, but he also did a lot of self-study beyond his traditional education, and he learned English, world history, and politics. As he studied more, he became disillusioned by some religious dogma. He married Zuleika Begum when he was 13 years old. By the time he was a teenager, he was already invested in journalism. As he traveled through Afghanistan, Iraq, Egypt, Syria, and Turkey, he met revolutionary activists and developed radical views. He became an Indian nationalist. He opposed the partition of Bengal in 1905 and began to advocate for people uniting in the freedom movement against the British. He was critical of the British Raj and of Muslims who focused on communal issues that he believed were not as important as national freedom. In 1912, Azad began publishing a weekly Urdu language journal called Al Hilal. The journal was anti-Britain and criticized Indian Muslims who were loyal to the British. Azad encouraged Muslims to fight for independence and encouraged Hindu-Muslim unity. The government banned Al-Halal, but Azad just started another publication, so British officials invoked the Defense of India Act against him, a law used to shut down the activities of nationalists and revolutionaries. By 1916, Azad was put on house arrest in Ranchi and detained there until January of 1920. During this time, he wrote an autobiographical text called Taskira. Once he was released, he was active in the Khilafat movement. In the movement, Indian Muslims and nationalists pressured the British government to preserve the position of the Sultan of Ottoman Turkey as the Caliph of Islam. Azad worked with Gandhi in the non-cooperation movement, which organized mass acts of nonviolent civil disobedience to encourage Britain to grant India self-government. 
He urged people to boycott British schools, government offices, and products. Azad and Gandhi became close, and Azad participated in many of his campaigns, including the Salt March. He committed to nonviolence and became a key link between Gandhi and the Muslim community. In 1923, he became the youngest person to be elected president of the Indian National Congress, a political party that dominated the Indian independence movement. He also served on the Congress Working Committee and as general secretary on more than one occasion. Over the next couple of decades, Azad was arrested and imprisoned several times. In 1942, he and the Congress leadership were arrested for their support and amplification of the Quit India movement, which called for a rebellion against British rule in India and demanded independence. After World War II ended and India gained its independence, the partition of India along religious lines became an issue that Azad opposed. He supported a confederation of autonomous provinces with their own constitutions and advocated for Hindu-Muslim unity. But British India split into India and Pakistan in 1947. From 1947 until his death in 1958, Azad was India's first minister of education. He promoted secondary education, literacy, and education of women and impoverished people. Azad was awarded India's highest civilian award, the Parat Ratna, in 1992. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. If you've seen any good history memes lately, you can send them to us on social media at Podcast. Or if you are so inclined, you can send us a message at thisday at iheartmedia.com. Thanks for listening to today's episode. We'll see you again tomorrow.